Has God ever really wanted to get your attention? Several years ago, I decided to take a day off and go on a prayer retreat. Uh, a friend of mine, he takes multiple days every year, and he, he goes off into the mountains, has this little prayer retreat, and he comes back so rejuvenated. I needed some of that. I, I, I was in a tired, dry kind of season, right in the middle of a grueling seminary semester, and, and I just wanted to experience the presence of God. Well, I didn't have a few days, but I decided to wake up real early one morning and head down to Colorado Springs for the day. Um, I, I brought my Bible, a journal, um, and my hiking shoes. I, I started off the, the day watching the sun rise at, at, guarded, at the Garden of the Gods, and I, I, I spent, spent a prayer walk just worshiping the Lord in, in the beauty of His creation. But then, right before I got into my car, as I was going to head to another destination, I opened up my phone. First mistake of a prayer walk, right? And be, because I wanted to look up something that was constantly on my mind the week before. It was a question of Bible translation. Right? If I'm going to plant a church one day, I need a good translation. I need the best translation. And because I guess this couldn't wait another day, all of a sudden this became the focus of my prayer retreat. So much for fasting, prayer, journaling, scripture intake. No, instead I spent most of the day at a couple different coffee shops reading article after article about which translation is the best and why. Suddenly I, I, I realized I needed to get back on the road and head home. I thought, what a wasted day. And so I had a thought, well, I should at least go on one more prayer walk. So as I come home and my wife asked me how was the prayer retreat, at least I could say I connected with God. Um, and so I did. But, but it wasn't five minutes into this prayer walk that I had another thought. I wonder how the NIV translates Galatians chapter 5. So I pull up on my phone. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Nothing surprising at all. But I kept on reading. And when I got to verse 6, the Lord got my attention. It, it reads, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. As, as, a, as a Christian pastor, I knew love was important. But this, this seemed to be next level. The only thing that counts? Really? The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. If John Stott was right, and, and the theology that matters is not the theology we profess, but the theology we practice, well, then I was in trouble. I mean, give me some theology books and lock me in a room, and I'm a happy man. But get a text from a fellow church member who needs help moving, I'm thinking of an excuse out. 
much easier for me to read John Calvin's understanding of the love of God than to, well, actually love. What about you guys? Can you say that your life is defined by love? Is your faith one that is expressing itself through love? Well, what even is love? Right? It, it, it's Christmas time. This is the season of love, so they say. But what is love? The dictionary defines love as, quote, a strong affection for another arising out of kinship or personal ties. So, so love is a warm, fuzzy feeling that I have with the closest people around me. Is that love? And according to our culture, we can only love when we're deeply in love with ourselves. We, we, we can't give to anyone else what we don't already have. Or to quote Buddha, you, your, you yourself, as much as anybody in the entire universe, deserve your love and affection. Is this the kind of love that our faith is supposed to be expressed through? Now, I believe this is the season of love. This is the reason we celebrate Christmas, God's love. It's why he sent his son. And I believe when this son grew up and gave his disciples the new commandment in John 13, he very clearly explained what this love looked like and what this love calls us to. So I believe Jesus is going to show us this morning from John 13 that Christmas is the season of love. And this love is received and commanded, but it's also costly. As we inch closer to Christmas this year, love is the way we must go. So if you're not already there, please open your Bibles to John 13. I'll have it up on the screen as well. There you see, it works for me. Verse 34, John 13, Jesus speaking. This is the word of God. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. Now, now, I must confess, even though the Lord got my attention several years ago with this profound understanding of the importance and priority of love, this is still my daily battle. I expect it always will be. So as I preach a text that says, love one another as Christ loved you, I, I, I echo the, the words of Robert Murray McShane when he said, I am a dying man, preaching to dying men and women this morning. Nonetheless, as we get closer to Christmas, whether we like it or not, love is the way we must go. We, we gave our second da daughter, Shiloh, the middle name Ahava. Right? It's, the, it's the Old Testament Hebrew word for love. You know, because of the, the importance of, 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 of our job as Christians to love, and, 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 and the fact that God loves us, 
We, we want to instill in her life and hopefully model for her what this love looks like and to be reminded ourselves of our calling through her name. The New Testament is written in Koine or common Greek. And the word for love is agape. Now, can, can we just pull up an ancient dictionary? Look up the word agape. Get our definition of love and get out of here and call it a Sunday. We've got some good football games on right now. No, we can't. Because that's not how the New Testament authors got their definition of love. Jesus' earliest followers, his disciples, his apostles, they redefined their understanding of love not by looking this word up in a dictionary. No, rather they looked to Jesus' teachings and his life to understand and live out this agape love. So before we jump into our verse, we got one verse, our imperative to love one another this Christmas, we're going to go on a little journey through some of Jesus' teachings and his own life examples. Just four scenes from the Gospels to see what we can learn about true Christmas love. Love one another as I have loved you. So let's start at scene one, the greatest commandment. We're in Jerusalem, and Jesus, he's, he's just been asked by the Sadducees, a Jewish group, about his view of the resurrection. After he has given his answer, he impresses one scribe, which leads this man to ask Jesus another question. He, he, he jumps in, and in Mark 12, he asks him, which commandment is the most important of all? Which commandment is the most important of all? Think about this question. There's 613 laws that the Jews are called to adhere to. And we know that to break one of these is to break all of them. Jesus' answer here, though, is very telling when it comes to the priority of love for God's people. He answers by quoting the Shema. There it is. He, he, he says... The most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is Deuteronomy 6.5, right? And every Jew had this verse memorized. This is like the John 3.16 of our day. But then Jesus continues. Remember, the scribe only asked him, what's the greatest commandment? What's the goat of all scripture? He doesn't say, what's your top two, Jesus? But Jesus, in verse 31 of Mark 12, he, he quotes another scripture, this time Leviticus 19, 8, 18, when he says, the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then he ends their argument with this summary statement, there is no other commandment, singular, greater than these, plural. Uh, okay, Jesus, I don't think you understood my question. So what's the greatest commandment, to love God or to love my neighbor? Jesus says, yes, now you're starting to get it. 
What, what, what Jesus is teaching here is that your love for God is expressed through your love for one another. And love, agape love, according to Jesus, is action. It's not a warm, fuzzy feeling under the mistletoe. Can your love for God be seen in your love for neighbor? John 4.20 says, If anyone says, I love God, and yet hates his brother or sister, he is a liar. For the person who does not love his brother or sister whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Can your love for God be seen in how you love your neighbor? This takes us to scene two. Who is my neighbor? In, in, in Luke 10, a lawyer wanted to put Jesus to the test. And so he asks him, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus doesn't ask, answer the question. He asks, he asks him, what do you think? What does the Bible say? This guy responds correctly. He, he quotes Leviticus 19, Deuteronomy 6, love God, love neighbor. Jesus says, you're right. Do that and you'll live. But he's not satisfied with Jesus' answer. So he asked Jesus, well, who is my neighbor? And this is where we get the, the, the parable of the, the Good Samaritan. Jesus says in Luke 10, starting in verse 30, Jesus took up the question and said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him, beat him up, and fled, leaving him half dead, a priest happened to be going down that road. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. In the same way, a Levite, when he arrived at the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, on his journey, came up to him. And when he saw the man, he had compassion. He went over to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on olive oil and wine. Then he put him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him. When I come back, I'll reimburse you for whatever extra you spend. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The one who showed mercy to him, he said. Then Jesus told him, Go and do the same. The one who showed him mercy. This Jew couldn't even say Samaritan. The religious Jews hated the Samaritans. They absolutely hated them. And who's the hero in Jesus' story? The outsider, the enemy, the Samaritan, the one who showed mercy. And Jesus is saying, our neighbor is whoever is in need. And loving our neighbor means actually responding to the need. This is costly, but this is love. So as important as it is to, to love your actual neighbors who live right next to you, Jesus is saying here, your neighbor is actually probably the one who's on the wrong side of the tracks. Your neighbor is the least, the last, the lamest. 
In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says to, to love not just the ones who will love you back, but love your enemies. In Matthew 25, he, he, he says, if you care for the least of these, those who hunger, those in prison, those who are sick, when you care for them, you're caring for me. Who is not your neighbor? From the man who lives two doors down from you who's contemplating suicide because he just lost his job to the one to 2,000 Afghan refugees who are supposed to show up in, in Denver come January. Our neighbors are those in need. And Jesus is saying, agape love in action is action. Agape love is action. Go and do likewise. You can go to church. You can pray a prayer. You can even tithe. But do you love your neighbor? Scene three this morning is at the end of Jesus' life. Right before he's betrayed, he does something rather scandalous. It's here that we not only get to see Jesus talk the love talk, but actually walk the love walk, right? Where we get to see some of this agape love in action. All throughout Jesus' ministry, the, the disciples are constantly arguing amongst themselves as to who is the greatest. Jesus flips the understanding of greatness upside down in John 13. He shows them what true greatness looks like. Jesus, in John 13, our next scene, gets on his hands and knees and washes his disciples' feet. He does the work of a slave, a servant. In John 13, starting in verse 12, it says, When Jesus had washed their feet and put on his outer clothing, he reclined again and said to them, Do you know what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are speaking rightly, since that is what I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do as I have done for you. Agape love is serving one another in humility. Remember, this is right, right before Judas betrays him. And he even washes his feet. Paul says in Philippians, in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. When Jesus defines true greatness, he says, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all, servant of all. Love is not a warm and fuzzy emotion you feel deep inside yourself. Love is forgetting yourself as you pursue others and their well-being. This is love. This is radical. This is totally countercultural. But this is love in Jesus' upside-down kingdom. And finally, staying in chapter 13, of John's Gospel, we get back to our text, scene four. So let's read 
verse 34 again. Jesus speaking to his disciples. I give you a new command. Love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. Now I hope by now we do have an understanding of love that is shaped by Christ and his interpretation of love and his life of love. But a new command, a new commandment in other translations, what is Jesus talking about here? Uh, on our journey, haven't we seen him already quote the Old Testament when he's bringing up the importance of love? Yes, we have. That he's doing something different here. Right? Why is this new? Jesus is actually raising the stakes. He, he had just given his disciples the first Lord's Supper. He, he, he instituted the new covenant. The bread is his body. The wine is his blood. Do this in remembrance of me. Now he's giving his new covenant people a new command. This commandment takes love thy neighbor to a whole nother level. Jesus doesn't just say love one another, like it says in Leviticus 19. He says love one another as I have loved you. This is the newness to the new commandment. Jesus' love for the church becomes the standard by which we love. Don Carson says the new command is simple enough for a toddler to memorize and appreciate, profound enough that the most mature believers are repeatedly embarrassed at how poorly they comprehend it and put it into practice. And he said this right on the heels of, of him washing his disciples' feet. Is this what he's talking about? Is this the kind of love? Yes. And yet there's more. In our passage, Judas had just left the group to betray Jesus. The Son of Man is now glorified, he says. And he says that because Judas has set in motion the ultimate act of love. In a few hours, Jesus would be handed over to the Jews and then to Rome. And then he was going to be executed on a cross. God shows his love for us in that while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. This is love. The cross is actually the climax of Jesus' love for us. Because of our sin, we are alienated from God, we are his enemies. But Jesus loves his enemies so much so, so that he dies for them. And so we're no longer his enemies. Through faith, we now have peace with God. This is love. Because of our sin, we are the least, the lamest, and the lost on our way to eternal damnation. But Jesus steps in our place becomes our substitute, and takes on the wrath of God 
himself for you. This is love. When Jesus tells his disciples and us to love one another just as I have loved you, we understand this definition of love as we look to the cross and our Savior who hung on it for you. Christmas is the season of love. Mary brings forth a son. This son saves their people from their sins. Saves his people from their sins. Jesus will again bring up this new commandment a couple chapters later in John 15. He says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. And then he says this, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. This, friends, friends of Christ, this is love. We receive it by faith alone, and this love is how we are called to live as Christ followers. So what does this mean for you? It, it means that this agape love is your life's calling. This agape love is your life's calling. Is it costly? Heck yes. Look at the cross. Is it worth it? Yes. Francis Chan says, quote, Our king who allowed himself to be tortured and killed for us tells us to love one another in the same way. Have you ever even considered loving a fellow Christian as sacrificially and selflessly as Christ loved you? When was the last time you looked at a Christian brother or sister selflessly, wanting to bring him or her life no matter what the cost? And, and, and this type of love, this life of love, is, is not pull up my bootstraps, and in my own power, love like this. Now, that'll last about as, as long as our, our New Year's resolutions, right? This type of love, this new commandment, is gospel-inspired. It's Holy Spirit-generated. 1 John 4.19 says, We love because he first loved us. We pursue this life of love daily as we look to Christ, the gospel, and the love we have received. And we ask the Holy Spirit to help. Right? This kind of love does not happen apart from the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. Love is a fruit of the Spirit. So ask Him that He would give you supernatural love for one another, for the glory of God. This new commandment that Jesus gives in Matthew 13 is given to the new covenant church, us, and is meant to be lived out among one another. Love one another. This command in John 13 is how we live among the household of faith. 
Could you imagine if this agape love defined true life? Just imagine that. If what defined true life was this love, you think the world would take notice? Our next verse in this passage, I just want you to listen to what it says. This is what Jesus says. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Tertullian was an early church father. He wrote about 100 years after the Apostle John. Here's how he, expla- here's how he explained the love he experienced in the early church. He says, we are a body knit together, one in mind and soul. We do not hesitate to share our earthly goods with one another. All things are common among us, except our wives. That's good. We don't spend our offerings on drinking bouts and eating houses, but to support and bury poor people, to support the wants of boys and girls destitute of means and parents and of old persons confined now to the house Such, too, as have suffered shipwreck. It is mainly the deeds of a love so noble that lead many to put a brand upon us. And here was the brand that the Romans put on these Christians during this intense time of persecution. These pagans said, quote, See how they love one another? They are ready to even die for one another. Oh, would this kind of love define us, church. Christmas is the season of love. Let's let this kind of love transform our lives and give the world a glimpse into the love of God. Amen? And and let's start this now as we move into the new covenant meal, communion. The early church, they would call this the agape feast. Let us be reminded through his death in these elements how costly his love was for us. We love, we love Christ and we love one another because he first loved us. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we come before your throne this morning desperate for you God but we need you we so need you there are so many distractions especially during this Christmas season God that want to take us away from you and from one another God help us to be reminded constantly through one another about your love, your deep and rich love for us, Christ, that we would go out and love one another for the glory of God and joy of all people. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.